Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Bradley Gerard. How are you doing, Bradley? I'm great, thanks, John. Good. And Mark Robinson. How are you, Mark? Oh, very well, thank you, John. It's been a while since we've it has been together. I, I did actually um, host the podcast a few weeks ago in your absence. Yeah, I wasn't here. Oh, no. I haven't had the pleasure of your company for a while. Well, That's all well, I'm saying. Thank you very much. In the podcast. It's group. a pleasure to be here. Good. Okay, right. So it's been a funny week for, for the magazine because it's uh, the week in which we uh, publish our top 100 funds. So that dominates the magazine. About 20 pages long, I think. It's a real in-depth read into which funds you should be buying if that's the way you want to invest. But it all, unfortunately, it squeezes out a lot of other content. <laughs> so, so the company's team, I wouldn't say have a week off, but uh, yeah. It didn't we, feel uh, like a week off. It never does, though, does mm. it? It never does. It's, I had a quick uh, rifle through the funds piece, though, and um, having obviously covered funds for a few years prior to joining the IC, there's some, there's some interesting interesting mentions in there. It's definitely worth a, a read, everyone who's listening. I think, I think it's a great list. I mean, you know, yeah. we started this five, six years ago. I mean, you probably followed the story, Bradley, of uh, you know the, the, the kind of criticisms of active management that have been sort of growing louder over the summer. Absolutely, uh, and it's what I write about in my editorial this week. You know, to the point where the I Investment Association has been, you know, essentially forced to defend it, itself, its industry, uh, from some of the charges being levelled at it. You know, and and you know, you you would be forgiven for thinking that active management is you know something that as a as a retail investor, you should avoid because you're just paying over the odds for a load of old rubbish. And I, you know, I don't think that's true. No, you can do. You can do. It is possible to pay too much for a fund that's not very good. But as you say, there are some very good managers who demonstrate repeatably strong performance. A- absolutely. And, I, you know, and I guess that's why we did this, because there are, I mean, there are thousands of, of funds out there. Yep. Funds, And we look at investment trusts as well, which I, they get less attention. They um, do. And I think that's a good thing, actually, because trusts are often overlooked um, by private investors. And the fact you can buy a pool of assets for arguably less than their actual your current value is is can be a very good thing. Uh, absolutely. So I say they get less attention. They get less attention outside Generally, of the pages yes. of the Investors Chronicle. We've got John Barron this week. John Barron loves investment trust. And he's, he's obviously published his book, you know, his latest uh, portfolio update this week. But yeah, no, we we give them plenty of attention, and there's plenty in the top 100 funds. But you know, my view is there are managers worth paying for. I do not buy into the idea that stock picking is impossible, that you cannot be a good stock picker. Uh, and, and it's what I talk about in my editorial. Now, the thing I really liked about, about this year's uh, Top 100 Funds, which uh, was put together by Leonora Waters, who is our new personal finance editor, was that she really kind of looked at some of the things that make these the guys running these funds tick. You know, some of the, some of the strategies, philosophies, and you know, they're not too far away from our own. That can only be right. good. It, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but you'd have to read my editorial to find out what they are. I managed to compress the top 100 funds into one 15-line paragraph. I have to say, I was quite, <laughs> quite impressed by that when I read it. <laughs> uh, okay, right. So, so let's, um, let's have a chat about news, uh, and then we'll, we'll, ha- we'll have a look at some of the results we've covered this Indeed. week. Uh, Bradley, what's, I mean, what's going on uh, in the world at large? Seven days. I guess a couple of things that kind of uh, are linked and stand out and are interesting given a certain, um, a recent um, announcement by a small cap company. So we've had the um, the one trillionth pound of dividends um, paid out just within this century, so within the past 15 and nearly three quarter years, which is just an interesting figure on its own, but it comes in a week whereby consultancy Mercer showed that the uh, UK's um, collective 
pension deficit is 189 billion pounds which mm. is a record high apparently so and that's interesting because obviously it was last week that the engineer car closed said that um, its dividend was likely to you know was in danger basically and would probably not be paid or uh, be paid to a lower extent because of um issues around the size of its pension deficit. Well, this is something we're going to look at, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a feature in the works at the moment where we'll be taking a look at uh, small cap and AIM stocks, uh, trying to work out which ones are um, uh, vulnerable, looking at their uh, distributable reserves, uh, their cash positions, and looking at um, the different... um, Well, you'd have to go by line by line and look at the Articles Association for a lot of these companies as well, because you can't treat them all in the same way. And they may have restrictions uh, linked to their dividends, and uh, their pension obligations too. It's, but, it's certainly something we, we were interested in because, you know, we, uh, some of the larger uh, dividend-paying shares have become quite expensive. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of investors have, have trended towards sort of smaller companies that are paying dividends. And Carl, Carl Clo, I never get, quite get my tongue <laughs> around that one, uh, is, is an example of how, where the risks lie in that approach. So we, we're just, just going to help, help people try and understand that. Well, yeah, and the, and the reason we, we've picked that end of the market as well is that uh, many of these companies wouldn't be in the position of uh, the, the large caps who in some cases are uh, often uh, able and, and willing to borrow to um, fund their dividend payments. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's a big issue. So I think it's one that people need to be sort of cognizant of. And obviously, we're, we're very aware it's going on. And as Mark says, we'll have hopefully more on it quite soon. Absolutely. So I guess on a similar kind of trend or similar theme, rather, the um, obviously the, a big factor in the fact in the reason why pension deficits are rising are because gilt yields are falling so fast, um, and gilts are a, a common asset purchased by pension funds. And actually. Um, the UK government managed to issue £2.5 billion worth of debt um, this week at an all-time low yield of 0.685%. And that's mm. down from 0.91% just in July. So you can see that kind of risk-off trade really is what arguably it is. And there is a sort of um, a very well-established base of government bond purchases, but for the yields to fall that aggressively does suggest that there's a bit of uncertainty on behalf of investors generally if um, government bond yields are being pushed down that far. Yeah, well, well, I, well, I think it's priced... Are you looking at the yield curve, Robert? Well, I was looking at the yield curve as well. Um, yeah. But, but I think a lot of it's priced in um, more intervention on the part of the Bank of England as well. Um, True. There's no doubt that uh, uh, Mark Carney's going to um, look at intervening the market depending on what sort of um, trade arrangements that we manage to strike in, in the next six months or so. We'll get some idea, presumably, once we... Uh, once the government uh, triggers Article 50. So Mark Carney, right. So this week, has he had his Gordon Brown save the world moment? Because uh, <laughs> because we've had some pretty decent economic data this yep. week. And I think Mark Carney has come out and said, defending himself from accusations that his uh, forecasts for the economy prior to the referendum were overly negative. And, and he's since been a bit trigger happy. <laughs> and, and since he's been a bit trigger happy. But, but apparently he saved the world. The, we're not, we're not going to have a recession now, as many people predicted. We would. A number of banks have apparently... Well, I, I, I heard something I'd never heard before. Cancelled their forecasts. Yeah. I've never heard anyone talk about cancelling forecasts before. Well, but, 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 it, but it's all down to him. Well, doubtless we will. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all down to well done, Gordon. Gordon. I mean, Mark. <laughs> Doubtless we will have a, a recession. Uh, it's just the timing that he got wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, recessions, they kind of come and go. That's they kind do. of the way economies work. Exactly. But we're not having one on Carney's watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I read in the magazine last week, I think uh, a, a greater threat to the stability in the UK and uh, 
the European mainland as well, the uh, Italian banks and, uh, and well, he, the Spanish banks have recovered to a certain degree and they've uh, been recapitalized. And, but um, it's very doubtful, or I find it very doubtful, that all of the, their loan exposure is uh, fully appreciated, especially when you look at uh, Spanish regional banks. But we won't get into that right now. No, no. It's asked with the Italian bank problem. We've gone away. Maybe you just stopped writing about it. Yeah, we've got bored with it. Bored with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Another thing of interest that I thought was, well, uh, struck me as interesting anyway, was um, Hargreaves Lansdowne, so the very uh, Britain's largest broker, um, Fitz 100 company. They have said they'll not be entering the secondary annuity market when that l- launches next year. That's kind of, I find that kind of interesting because obviously that part of the government's pension freedom legislation was quite a key plank, really, the fact that obviously the biggest thing is that people don't have to buy an annuity. That's very good. But the ability for them to sell their annuity um, was also another key um, element of the policy. And it's interesting that Hargreaves is deciding to not take part in it. In the words of Tom McPhail, who's the head of retirement policy, he says for the majority of people, it is likely to be a poor decision. That's kind of noteworthy, I think. What Hargreaves want people to do instead? Well, they're considering launching an advisory service for people who may be contemplating selling their annuity. Mm-hmm. But I think what they would say, suggest people do is properly consider at the outset whether an annuity is right for you. But... And if it's not, then you shouldn't go down that route. And I know what you're going to say. You can say, well, what if someone's got an annuity, they want to change their mind now? Well, they can sell it. But what Hargreaves is saying is you're unlikely to get a very good outcome from that. But you, you could say the Hargreaves model is much better served by people opting for the drawdown route anyway. That's arguable, but also because of their size, if they launch the secondary annuity service, the likelihood is it would be well populated and mm. larger than competitors who, who decide to launch. So I still, you're right, drawdown is arguably more beneficial for their business model. That That's pretty much without doubt, I'd say. But the fact they're not looking to enter this market and they could with their scale and size and popularity, no doubt do well in it if they wanted to. The fact they're dodging it just, just struck me as quite interesting and perhaps a bit of a um, you know an amber flashing light to those people who are thinking of um, selling their annuities to really do their homework before they, mm. before they do so. Decent results this week, though, from Hargreaves uh, on page 69 of the magazine. Uh, I think we downgraded them from buy to hold, um, but only on the basis of valuation. Hargreaves shares always look expensive, but, uh, you know, it's not a business that doesn't look like it's running out of steam. Well, no, um, it doesn't. I think their chief executive, Ian Gorham, actually, he announced his his retirement after about seven years at the company, from memory. But, um, yeah, I mean, in spite of that, it's it's just such a well-established beast. And on the valuation point, you know, 34 times is pricey. There might be some um, investors who are also our readers and listeners who might well think... That's worth it. It's worth paying up for. Mm. But yeah, it's a it's a very very um, decent company. And I'm sure many of our readers use their services. I'm sure and I'm very do. very happy with them from uh, from what we hear. That's what people say. That's what people say. Okay, what else have we got in news, Bradley? Another thing that's interesting: Theron Mohammed, who is our sort of technology and media reporter, he also deals up with all the takeovers and um, the takeovers page that's published in the magazine. And one thing he said he'd noticed very recently, particularly post Brexit, was a big flurry in private equity activity and sure private equity houses are probably always doing something not just sitting on their hands but he just sort of noticed a real spike up in interest of or basically going both ways so a lot of private equity bids to um, take listed companies into off the market Mm -hmm. and actually there are quite a few other um, the, the trend is equally strong the other way. So a few private equity houses are looking to cash in and um, list companies and, and make money from 
or at least the value, I suppose, that they initially saw in their um, in their private investments. So there's a, quite a few um, examples in there. I mean, one uh, potential listing that Theron notes is um, CVC Capital Partners, which bought 80% of Skybet from Sky in 2015, um, is apparently looking to float the business next year for a, about a 1.5 billion valuation. Another betting company. Yep, and there was another betting company whose name I whose name I forget, but the adverts have Barbara Windsor on them, which also announced an intention to float. I've not seen those. Yeah, she's in like she's dressed as a fairy or something. Oh God, I have seen those, but I I, I can't remember what they are. Yeah, you'd think that all we do in Britain is gamble from the amount of listed gambling companies, but uh, they there you go. Now, it is interesting. I mean, the 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 really interesting one that is Pinewood because I mean that's been around for yeah for a long long time, and that's that's now going private. Well, shareholders will vote on the recommended offer. So the company has recommended the approach from the private equity purchasers. Yeah, it's not done and dusted yet, but yeah, we'll see what shareholders say. It's a funny business. I mean, you would have thought, I mean, you know, Pinewood is a leader in its field. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest studios in Europe and it, you know, all sorts of amazing films get, I'm pretty sure they made some of the Star Wars film there. And yet it's never been one that's really works for investors and I, I've never understood why no it's true it's a strange one um, and maybe it will work better in private hands but obviously if you're a shareholder of it you must see well maybe this maybe this is the, the positive thing to come out of well, it maybe, maybe you know maybe this will be the good the good end to an investment yeah. that well, hasn't maybe been too, fantastic maybe it's too lumpy maybe the maybe the, the, the way the business works is just too lumpy for it to, to, to work as a public company where you expect some kind of Regular, consistency and yeah, regularity yeah. In, yeah. in the numbers coming through although it's, audiences it's are getting a little bit easier to I suppose understand because you just keep launching things relative to franchises even yeah. so it's a quite a tricky business to be well, I mean, obviously it's tricky to provide any certainty in any industry but particularly filmmaking it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting I mean, you know perhaps some businesses are best suited to private ownership some businesses are okay in public I, I just think it's quite interesting well, well, no, I agree. Know. while we've seen a, a step up in uh, a private equity M&A uh, of late as well is, is possibly linked to Sterling's fall as well because uh, Bain have one of been one of the chief private equity companies moving into and buying up UK assets as well. So uh, you know anything they'd be buying would be fifty fifteen percent cheaper than it was six months ago. Yeah, so. that's true. What well, I noticed here, Entertainment One, which is uh, has been a public company for a long time, and I think in its history it's moved from AIM to the main list. I mean, it's you know it's it's done something right. It's got amazing franchises within its business. Yeah. Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig. I think we talk about Peppa Pig every yeah, week. Yeah, the then. theme tunes <laughs> in my head for the rest of the day now. Thank you. Um, who's, who's that? Is that a private equity buyer of that? Is it KKR? Um, yeah, KKR is, a, is reportedly mulling a, a bid for it. And that, that, that's particularly interesting given that there was interest in Entertainment One from ITV. Yeah. But it seems that the um, the companies have obviously different views of the value of Entertainment One. So ITV has um, very recently, actually, in the past couple of weeks, walked away. Yeah, I mean, do you know one thing I will say though? I mean, this stuff. I don't want to downplay anything we write the magazine because it's, it is the news and it is what we, you know, what's what's happening today. But you know, you look at the history of the stock market, and I was I was uh, this lunchtime at a, a memorial service for a former IC editor, a lady called Gillian O'Connor, who's considered one of the great IC editors. And if I can get within spitting distance of her achievements, then I'll, I'll consider myself uh, ha- having had a good career. In the back of the order of service was one of her columns. And, you know, she was talking about blue chips and buying shares, which she was able to do then, which we have much more problems with today as journalists. But she said, you know, companies come and go, big companies, you know, I wouldn't buy a blue chip just because it's a blue chip. Companies come and go. And, you know, I was reading through this column, which was only published in 2001. I don't think a single company on that list 
exists as a standalone listed company. Really? They, uh, you know, it's just the way markets work, isn't yeah. it? They just, they just move around and companies get bought, companies get sold, companies get taken private, companies Co- come companies, back. Companies it's, evolve. It's, indeed. Yeah, I, I, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's very fluid. I mm. thought it was a great column and I'm pretty sure I've... I've I've touched on the subject myself, but yeah, it was wonderful. It was a really, really wonderful service. We um, was heard from Richard Lambert, oh, Sir wow. Richard Lambert, yeah. uh, who's a former editor of the Financial Times, uh, who Julian also worked for, and Director General of the Confederation of British Industry, I think. And he, he was describing the IC, and uh, as it was in the 1980s. Not changed much. <laughs> so which are you, Bradley? Young and ambitious or old and weird? <laughs> which is apparently how the IC staff has already always been. Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh, I mean, accurate. young and ambitious, <laughs> old and weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pointing at rubber. Yes. <laughs> That's for the benefit of our listeners. <laughs> and I'm somewhere in the middle, I think, yeah? Is that fair? Or well, it just old and weird? might have been my ambition to be old and weird. <laughs> well, I quite like being old and weird. The IC, it's like Portland. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's weird. We're weird. As, as Richard, uh, Richard uh, Lambert said, Sir Richard Lambert said, he said, you know, these eccentrics who, who really should have made fortunes on the other side of the river choosing to, to basically spend their time writing copy for the benefit of, of readers. And it's, yeah, it's true. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> We're off. <laughs> anyway, there you go. It's fantastic. Um, it's really good. I just the IC never changes, but mm. it does. Okay. So anyway, I digress. I had. To, I wanted to get that. In. Yeah, that was worth mentioning. Indeed. Okay. Right. Uh, what else we got, Bradley? Uh, Serious Minerals is one uh, that's quite interesting. That Robbo, you have. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, you've been. I've been inter- skeptical, in, intimately involved. No, actually, I I, I, t- I took. Um, I don't know. You were I took the bull, a, weren't Yeah, you? I took a positive. I wouldn't say I was bullish on it, but I took. Well, a, you were. Well, I wouldn't say bullish. That's. Uh, well, um, you were. You were. <laughs> well, <laughs> as as many of our listeners will probably remember, uh, myself and our former colleague Matthew Allen uh, decided to publish a yin and yang feature in. Relation- it wasn't a feature. It was a tip. It was a tip. We got. That's a, yeah, it was. It was not a successful experiment. I, I'm, I, 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 I'm not actually sure about that. We did get a, a lot of positive feedback, but unfortunately, yeah. there was quite a lot of negative feedback as well because yeah. it was obviously a confusing. Uh, if we'd have done it as a feature, it, it would have been great. Been. We did it in the tips pages, anyway, and it got people thinking, got people talking. So, in that regard, it uh, it worked. It did. So we had a, we had a buy tip on. And a sell tip on the same company. Wow. It was. So Matt effectively played uh, devil's advocate. And, uh, this well, no, he genuinely believed that it wasn't going to happen. For the main, well, actually, there's two main points that he was bringing about. The fact that they were trying to get the permissioning process through uh, in an area. Well, it's a, it's a national park. North mm. Yorkshire Moors National Park. Uh, and plus, just the financing arrangements were... Uh, well, not exactly opaque at that stage, but they uh, we, we certainly had no idea what the eventual uh, bill, and we had no idea how they were hoping to finance this. Um, there was some talk, obviously, of uh, uh, larger companies coming in and helping out through the different stages. Uh, but it was just uh, – and that permissioning process dragged on and on and on, and the company itself – Failed to release enough detail to the market, I would say. Mm. Um, but then what could it say? I'm sure well, it was exactly. saying all it could yeah, say. So we, I mean, we, uh, we met up with the, the directors on several occasions as well. And, and you know, I, I, when it first, the idea was first muted, I thought, well, this, this could have legs, actually. Because I, uh, not that I'm an ex- expert in such manners, but I, I couldn't really see how there would be... What are you uh, talking about? You're always banging on about potash. No, but I was thinking from, <laughs> no, no, but from an environmental perspective, it, it didn't seem to me that 
it would cause undue damage to the North Yorkshire countryside, the, 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 the plans in place. And, and you so, care deeply about the North Yorkshire countryside. I, I do, actually. I do. Heathcliff, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, in, in this in this week's, uh, there's been a, there's an update, and Alex Newman has been looking into it. And uh, Sirius has streamlined their um, development plans, and now they've it's it's been broken up into three stages. Alex was telling me, uh, some, somewhere along the line, there's going to be some fairly hefty uh, dilution um, uh, along the way. But um, it, it is actually moving now as well because for age, for ages the whole project seemed moribund, and this is when the the, the, the initial enthusiasm, uh, local enthusiasm as well, um, drained away. So um, we're getting a few, we're getting more details in the coming months on this too. But it does actually seem to be um, moving in the right direction now. But it's still not clear at this stage uh, if you're holding uh, if you're holding stock in Sirius at the moment. Um, the the level of dilution in the coming months. It's a hold. It's a hold. It's, it's a not hold. a screaming buy, given the uncertainties no, that not, remain. Right. But it's uh, it's a good it's a good piece. And um, actually, I quite I, I like this because um, Dominic over in the control room, Dominic Toms, uh, has put together a really lovely chart here with Alex. That um, they're, they're kind of you know this is what we need to see. This is you know the progression of a share price. Uh, with taking into account the kind of the, you know key it's news got, events, so this, you, you're doing something like this for, well, for exactly. us at the moment. We're quadrise, aren't you? Well, exactly, exactly. I won't, I won't talk too much about quadrise as well because it fe- well, it's, it's an upcoming feature as well. With Sirius as well, they've they've got an um, enhanced institutional backing now too. So I mean, the the, the project itself seems to have legs at long last, mm. uh, but it's been years in the making. We we thought originally. That it would be um, between anyway, between nine and fifteen months before you'd get this permissioning process through, but it just dragged on and on and on, and it was unfortunate as well because a lot of our, I know for a fact that a lot of our readers uh, uh, took an interest and invested in the company too. Well, I'll tell you something: if you want to get a residential like extension on your house, you know that. Your planning process there takes sort of three to six months. <laughs> so if you were thinking you could dig push, in the digger push, bigger, push through an enormous mining facility in, the, in a national park in nine to, nine to twelve months, then yeah, I mean, I mean in dreamland. Yeah, Matthew's reservations were spot on. I think I was being slightly disingenuous, really, but I, I, I thought at the time that because of the economic benefits that were going to flow into the area, and it's a, it's a, there's high unemployment rates in that particular part of the world that. Uh, it would have been pushed through by local authorities, but perhaps it'll be part of a Theresa May's uh, Northern Powerhouse agenda. The mm. Powerhouse, yeah. Well, perhaps. I mean, it'd be it'd be lovely if the uh, if the project got up and running. Alex says the project is if it gets up and running completely. Apparently, what it will do is bring about a seven percent reduction in the UK's trade deficit. Um, it'll bring a two point three billion annual contribution to GDP and a twenty percent boost to North Yorkshire's economy. So, I mean, if it does get off the ground. You know, if you're a brave investor and have a little bit of uh, room in your portfolio for a few shares in this, in I don't know, a decade's time, it could be laughing. Well, you, yeah, you, you, well, why not? I mean, if you've got spare, you've got a little bit of spare capital and you want to take a punt, why not? Yeah, this is a different type of potash mine, and, and there's no existing market for this particular um, uh, chemical compound. But uh, the, uh, the, the Sirius has undertaken a number of. Uh, peer-reviewed studies and all of it points to the efficacy of uh, the product itself so it's got a buyer hasn't it for the product it, yeah it, we're mean, able to mine it in, in yeah, commercial there, quantities there, there's a couple there's a couple or three i think in, in memory um i don't think that's um going to necessarily be the issue and, and plus it has environmental uh, benefits as well from standard fertilizers too so um and it fits in with our general theme you know the sort of jim rogers banging the drum about uh, having to feed an extra 
you know, three billion mouths in the, in the coming 30 years or so. Absolutely. Or we could just use genetically modified crops, yeah, which you also that. love, Robbo. Well, I wouldn't necessarily love, cub them. Oh, Bayer and Monsanto. That was a Bayer and Monsanto. I thought that was another yeah. news piece. Did that feature in the magazine anyway? It did, yeah. It's in, uh, in the seven days spread. There's a little update Fantastic. Uh, there about that that readers can have a look at. Yeah, because the other, Bayer and Monsanto, and then, of course, the other one is Syngenta, which you've long been a fan of. Yes, yes. Uh, the, the Chinese, uh, Chem China, have come in from it, and that's still going through the... Still going uh, through. Still going through the process at the moment. But I think the last regulatory hurdle, the most important one, was cleared maybe last month. or Yeah, it was last month, I think it was cleared. So it's just going through the process, and you know, maybe by the end of the year, I think. All right. Should we talk about what a terrible human being Mike Ashley is? <laughs> well, I was going to say, we can't, we can't really move on to results until we've talked a little bit about Sports Direct. I think the I, 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 that was flippant. I don't know whether he's a terrible human being or not, but there's certainly been some, uh, well, he's, some he's, shortcomings he's, in, in the treatment of other human beings in, he, in his company. Yeah, and he's at least an interesting human being in that the day that he invites pretty much the whole of the UK's press to the Shirebrook warehouse, he happens to accidentally have a wad of £50 notes in his pocket that he has to get out for the security check. I mean... Why would you do that? Loads of money. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just asking for more <laughs> iodine. Oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah, they've had a bit of, um, well, the PR disaster, really, that is Sports Direct has carried on. Although there are obviously moves to try and reverse that trend by the company by announcing various reviews of working practices and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, quite right, too. Well, they've said uh, Zero Hour is going to be banned on the shop floor, but not in the warehouses. And I think. Yeah, uh, there, were, there were a few like, caveats and a yeah. bit of wiggle room in, in what they've said they're going to the review that they're going to carry out. But then I was listening to the radio on the way into work the other morning and uh, they were interviewing some staff in warehouse, one of, some of the warehouses and I think one guy, I, I, I just love the great time, well, I've had worse jobs. <laughs> 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 okay, fair enough. But also I found quite interesting was that, that you know, in, in light of some of the things our new Prime Minister has been saying about uh, the way companies are run, uh, they, they're going to invite a worker onto the board. So, I mean, you know, this is the, they will be leading the charge of corporate governance, if that is true. I mean, you know, you go from being the worst to being the best, I guess. Well, yeah, on paper. I mean, I guess it depends how that actually transpires. But, yeah, yeah so arguably yeah. you're right. I mean, it, the proof will be in the eating, as they say. But I think they report um, next week as well. Oh, do they? Yeah. yeah. I used to like this company. In, in, in financial terms, I mean, there uh, are. There, I mean, I mean, Standard Life Investments, you know, is the second largest shareholder. They're they're sticking with it. They, as an mm. investment, they see its promise. But in their in their words, they wrote an open letter to the the um, board. They voted against the company's remuneration report and against the, the reappointment of all of the non-exec directors. Was it, was it Royal London who said the board's not fit for purpose? Yeah, and um, SLI also said that when they engage with the board, they've had um, that their attempts to engage with it have had little effect. Um, and the responses have been either unconvincing or non-existent. Mm. So there's, there are problems there. We know this. I think perhaps one of the more important things for investors to um, pay attention to this week, though, is not necessarily just the bad PR that's surrounding um, the company and the attempts to fight this off, but the fact that in their trading update, there was also a line, not not hidden, but it didn't get the biggest bit of coverage, um, that adjusted cash profits are likely to be 300 million for this financial year, which is down from 381 million in the past financial year. That's a big drop. It's a big drop, but it's also still a big profit. It's not like this is a, a dying business. No, nope, that's true. It's just something that the, the headlines sort of, the stories kind of touched upon this fact, but the headlines are all about the, the, the governance thing, which is very important, of course, but the numerics of those cash profits uh, need, need, need attention paid to them. Yeah, indeed. I mean, just turning back to 
my 15 line roundup of the top 100 funds and you know the, the investment strategies of the uh, UK's best fund managers one of the things uh, that repeatedly uh, came up in in their um, their philosophies was you've got to look at management you've got to look at corporate governance these things matter they do um, and and I think sports direct is walking proof that that get corporate governance wrong and it can have terrible implications for investors absolutely it has the share price of sports directors has sort of cratered since December really I think it's it's gone down an awful lot um, and that's what kind of when things started um, the story started coming out about Shirebrook about the fact that in effect um, work, some workers were earning less than the minimum wage because of these security checks um, you, how does a security check affect your wage? Well, because the argument was that you were spending well, they that spend time 20 minutes, uh, out, outside fixed. of their hours being checked, so they weren't being paid for that time. And it's not like it's not okay to just for a company to have some of your free time to security check you. It has it's to be like, in your contract. It's like hours. if you patted us down every night when we left, uh, left the office. <laughs> no, there's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of corporate governance, it, uh, it remind well, it doesn't remind me so much, but it brought up uh, Eurasian natural resources uh which was effectively run uh, like an oligarchy really whereas sports direct possibly could say is an autocracy yeah maybe maybe but i couldn't I, possibly say that i tell you what i mean you know let's go from from bad management to good management because on the same page there you've got uh ashton which is a tool hire business which also is the subject of ian smith's taking stock column this week ashton you look at that i mean its share price does Wonderfully well, you know, its return on uh, capital is is enormous. Um, and what I will say about Ashton is that when Philip Ryland put together his best bosses feature, which he does once a year, Jeff Drabble, I think is the chief exec's name of Ashton, comes out pretty much top every year. Hmm. Who's heard of Jeff Drabble? Not me. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, Ashton, you know, this is, this is I think, is a, is a classic case of good management. Well, well, they've done quite well this time around as well uh, because of a pickup in US constru- the yeah, US con- construction market, which feeds into it. But yeah, of course. You've got, to play, you've got to play the markets that are put in front of you, you know, it's, and, and they do that very well. And they do that because they are managed very well. I'll be looking um, at that uh, in the next issue of the magazine, actually. Oh. The US construction market, seeing if there's a feed through into UK companies. Because Can't wait. Oh. You might have to. I haven't written it yet. <laughs> Hurry up. <laughs> okay, so before we love you and leave you, let's uh, have a look at a couple of results. Brad, what you got? Well, I'm going to move on to your favourite topic here, John, trains. Oh, I thought you were going to say bananas. Well, I'm, I'm going to move on to that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> trains and bananas, your favourite thing. Everyone knows that. Um, it used to be sausages. <laughs> Go ahead. Basically, obviously, it's um, it's uh, it's Govia Joint Venture, which runs the um, Southern Rail services, which are obviously very much in the news at the moment because of they they're facing difficulty with their union. Um, they've had to cut down their timetable um, a lot, and commuters are having a torrid time. Who who can only use those services trying to get into London and back home again. Um, but actually, as an investor, things aren't that bad. And um, pre-tax profits are actually up more than a quarter. Um, and the rail division itself um, reported a 5% rise in operating profits. And actually speaking to the company... That's just going to drive people mad. No, I know. <laughs> speaking to the company, the Govia contractor actually does, to some extent anyway, take into account the changes that the company was going to have to make to the franchise and also protects it partially against industrial action. So while Govia is still loss-making and the you know, go-ahead is not making money from Govia yet and it is still paying the government more than £220 million for the pleasure of having the franchise, mm. um, 
uh, yeah, the company uh, from a profitability point of view is is doing quite well. And you've got them on a buy the shares. I know, I know. Some who commu- does thunk it? I know. You know half the half this building coming via that line. There'll be well. a lot of um, sort of. I'll be getting frowned at in the lift. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's um, obviously it's not just um, UK Rail. It's a bus company. It's got. Um, interest overseas now as well it's won contracts recently in singapore for a bus contracts germany for rail contracts so it is quite well diversified so as an investment quite good as a passenger you might not like the fact that it's doing so well yeah uk rail is a is a funny funny beast um but as you say diversification i think is what a lot of these companies are doing to try and uh, try and get around that so. absolutely and then moving on to bananas your other favorite Yay. thing. so five such is interesting because today they announced the purchase of a canadian mushroom business their second were, Canadian they, mushroom business. I was going to say, I thought they'd already bought a mushroom. Yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they bought one in April, and today they've just bought okay. another one. So um, going from bananas to mushrooms, it seems. So that's a, an interesting development there. And we initially actually, Fife's was a speculative buy tip, actually initi- initiated by Julia Bradshaw, who used to be with us. And part of the rationale for that speculative buy tip was that it was going to be bought by rival Chiquitos. That deal fell through. And now it's interesting that Fife's has sort of turned into the, the acquirer. Yeah, it's quite a, it's a biggish company. Yeah. Been around a long time. It has yeah. been around a long time. It's getting bigger. It's, it's obviously clearly moving into a new territory, what with uh, these two Canadian mushroom businesses. Yeah, it's been a good buy tip. It has. Even though the takeover grounds yeah. for that buy tip never really came to pass. True. But uh, yes, good businesses. If they're going to get bought, you might as well buy them. Yep. Robbo, what we got? There's a couple of things, actually. Uh, I was looking at uh, plus 500 results this week as well. They've actually seemed to have bounced back quite a bit from their compliance uh, mishap from uh, last year. Big customer churn there, that's the only thing. But they've, they've It's the nature gr- of that business, I think. It is the nature of the business. But why I thought this is interesting this week, this, uh, this issue, because it contrasts with the, um, the fortunes of uh, CMC. Um, CMC were pointing to... Uh, uh, the Brexit effect, and in fact, plus 500 mentioned this as well. But you would think it, for both companies, increased volatility in the market would have um, provided a boon, really. Mm, I thought CMC said that volatility was not well, no, as strong as Well, that's, as all that. this is the point, that they were expecting volatility in, yeah. in the wake of the, the vote. But of course, Mark Carney's intervention, which we alluded to earlier on, and the resilience of the UK economy means that volatility rates have actually been relatively stable. Mm, um, mm. And so basically, um, a lot of their clients are actually they're not bothering to go into new positions and they're not adding to existing ones. They're just, it's a wait and see at the moment. And I think it's just a timing issue between both companies, actually. Um, I, I looked at a numerous note and I, I don't think that the note picked up on that uh, well enough. Um, but... Uh, you know, it's been a decent period for plus 500. But then again, as I say, it's very difficult to work out trends uh, with this company. So, because uh, the, the result was written up by Emma Powell, and I was asking her about it. But this customer churn makes it very difficult to d- discern trends. Mm. At least I find it that way, anyway. Look at that dividend yield. Yeah, it's incredible. But uh, but I mean, you know, you look at a yield like that nine nine well, percent. Well, no, I know. Well, I know. And you it, think it, alarm you bells think this is not right? <clears throat> no, it's alarm bells. Anything above seven percent, Algae Hall tells me. So, above uh, seven? I'd say above six. I, I'm, I'm nervous when anything's getting into this. Yeah. In this in this low interest rate environment, I mean, anything above even five, I'm looking at thinking quizzically, wondering whether there's something wrong. Yeah. yeah when, <laughs> when you see it, when you see a fig like that, you know, it pay you know it pays to look twice at the company. 
minutes. At, well, so. it, that's all we can say. Look twice. Yeah. And we got him on a hold. Not got, even at that year, not screaming bye. No, no, no. Well, I think it's we're waiting and seeing as well. I mean, you know, things seem to be going reasonably well at the moment, but. Uh, it's very difficult to know, uh, you know, six months down the track, what's going to be happening. Yeah. Okay. Thank there's you very a, much. There was a couple of others that I, I looked at. I thought was interesting this week as well. well at least um, Alex Alex Newman has given the latest um, write up on hunting, which um, supplies oil services equipment. That red, like that was a horror show of a, of a situation there. Well, 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 exactly, exactly. But it has been for a number of years. But I, 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 I've, I've been speaking to the chief executive Dennis Proctor for years now. And I'll say one thing about Dennis. He's, he's got to be the most candid chief executive that I've ever spoken to. Well, that's good too. We like that. That's, well, exactly. Uh, I mean, he's told you exactly that the, the, the company has been struggling. And it's a quality company as well. I had a friend who works for them, actually. All right. Um, so, yeah, I know, I know it very, very well. He's uh, worked for years. But as, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion, I don't know if Alex Newman uh, shares the opinion, that we, we're going to see a, an opposite and corresponding spike in oil prices eventually. Because um, so much conventional production has been taken out uh, from f- future years. And at some point, uh, Eastern demand is going to catch up. The market's going to slip into equilibrium. And once it goes into e- equilibrium, I think it's going to push very heavily the, the other way. And so then w- we'll see a corresponding uh, bump back for companies in the oil services sector as well. Because they're obviously the first ones to suffer when the oil price goes down. But they're also the first ones to pull out when it goes back up Indeed. again. Indeed. I suspect that they're going to be a little bit more cautious and circumspect in the way they build their business uh, next time around. But uh, coming out the other end, I think hunting is a, is a quality business. Absolutely. Well, I guess, you know, being circumspect after a period of difficulty is exactly what we've seen with the house building uh, sector, for example. Yeah. You know, got, got a bit carried away pre-2007-8. Good- and they've, they've built themselves back up in a way that is much more considered and risk averse than they had previously good uh, numbers for red row this week yeah as well. and yeah. and as barrett as well we had some results barrett as well as jonas mentioned i think red row were, were a little bit late coming to the party initially so which might have uh, been something of an advantage where they're, where they're concerned indeed well we got the post-referendum post non-recession share price bounce which you can see smattered throughout the magazine it's yep. uh, there's this kind of very noticeable hockey stick effect on yep. many share prices of late i might i might just highlight another one uh, emma's uh, written this week about ashmore because uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, emerging markets and uh, ostensibly the the numbers weren't uh, terribly good you know their assets under management fell quite sharply during the period but it was noticeable looking at the results that in the second half and and in their in their final quarter as well We'd seen a bit of a, a turnaround in activity too. So I mean, I think there's it, growing interest in emerging markets. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think uh, you know the, the the big. I mean, it was, it was like two or three years of, of poor, couple, poor sentiment towards emerging markets. Yeah, two yeah, years, it, it's it flown by, but uh, but yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think sentiment is shifting there, and you can see that in the share price. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's 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 you know it, it's interesting. It's it sort of it's it sort of in parallel with the, the commodity price slump as well, which is both. It's causal and also symptomatic of emerging market decline too. But now we're seeing commodity prices bottoming out, stabilising in some cases. And Alex is of the opinion that uh, in some some metals we'll see a rebound towards the end of this year as well. Uh, and that and that falls into line with the general uh, feeling on emerging markets. I moment. think Alex is having a look at uh, he's, he's done a commodity spread for us for next week's bank. He has, so, and, uh, and, he, and he's uh, looking at uh, specialist metals uh, next week as well, looking at things like uh, zinc and uh, zirconium. These 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 sort of ones that aren't uh, 
mentioned. All right. Good stuff. I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you, uh, thank you, Bradley. Thank you, uh, Mark, for your contributions this week. There's plenty more in the magazine, certainly in the personal finance and fun section, as well as their enormous uh, Top 100 funds feature. They will be talking about that in a lot more detail than we have on their podcast tomorrow. We've got the usual tips, the usual uh, comments, and uh, a fair number of results this week. I hope it's going to sh- slow down a bit now. Uh, sector focus linked to uh, the NHS or sort of opportunities arising uh, from the NHS. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. The, uh, well, the kind of the sort of private opportunities in the NHS space, which I think I'd asked you for as a feature but there you go never there mind, you go Mark, no, I was handed on to uh, uh, one of the young uh, ambitious yes. writers as opposed to the old weird ones yes the old weird ones who don't listen to me what uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway thank you very much thank you for listening top 100 funds you can't miss it it looks like a like Blade Runner I think the uh, the cover this week 4.17 all good news agents or uh, go online and subscribe thank you very much see you soon 